by just about any measure, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. He's often referred to, in fact, as the prince of preachers. Those who heard Spurgeon preach marveled at his eloquence, so much so that people described that experience as as being spellbound as he described the glories of the gospel. He was equally loved by both the educated and the everyday man because he labored to use his prodigious speaking skills to make things as plain as possible. Presumably by not using words like prodigious that often. But Spurgeon preached with such spirit-filled power that once when he was in an auditorium and he was, he was just testing the acoustics of the building, he shouted out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there was a man in the rafters who was working and later reported that at that very moment he was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Spurgeon's sermons totaled almost 25 million words and filled 63 volumes. He often preached 10 times a week, and he preached more than 600 times before he turned 20. To put that in perspective, that's more sermons than I've preached in my lifetime by a fair margin. And by a fair margin, I'm older than 20. In 1865, which is obviously well before podcasts and downloads, his sermons sold 25,000 copies per week and were weekly translated into 20 different languages. It is estimated that he preached to more than 10 million people in his lifetime, and he once preached to over 23,000 in one place without a microphone. He was a gifted Man, And yet, as Spurgeon's own grandfather once said, Charles can preach the gospel better than I, but he cannot preach a better gospel. Now this is the comfort for all of us who are less gifted than Mr. Spurgeon. In a sense, gifting is irrelevant. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4.5 Our job, my job, is simply to point to Jesus as passionately and as relentlessly as I can. But the thrilling nature of today's passage in Ephesians 2 is that a very unique man came and preached the gospel. In fact, this man was so singularly unique that he is the only man who ever lived for whom 2 Corinthians 4 5 would, in fact, not accurately describe his preaching. For this man came and preached the gospel with himself 
as the center because this man was not only the true prince of preachers, he was in fact the prince of peace himself. This morning we're going to revel in our passage, which is Ephesians 2, verses 17 through 18. Just to kind of get into the flow of where these verses fall, I'll begin reading in verse 13 of chapter 2. Paul has just reminded the Ephesians of the desperate condition in which they found themselves apart from Christ. And picking up in verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And here are our verses for this morning. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, And peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Lord, lead us now, I pray. In the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in the season where we are celebrating Christmas. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are celebrating his birth. That is, to put it as simply as possible, we are celebrating that he came to earth. When you read verse 17 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, can you imagine a simpler or more direct statement about the incarnation than verse 17? He came, that is, from heaven to earth. He came. And preached. The question that we want to tackle this morning is who are we, in fact, talking about? And of course, we know it's Jesus, but it will do us well to think for a moment about the implications of that truth. Who is it that came and and what was the essence of his message, especially as we find it in the flow of Ephesians 2? And I want to take just a moment as we drive things through towards the end of our message to concentrate on verse 18, where we see the glory of the Father and the Son and the Spirit on display. So no matter what is weighing you down this morning, or no matter what condition you find your heart in through this Christmas season, the reality is that we can rejoice together in verse 17 of chapter 2. One of the most important applications we can make in any passage is simply to come to a deeper and fuller and greater understanding of the glory of the one who is revealing himself to us through his 
word. In this particular book, it is his love. It is his mercy. It is his plan. It is his goodness. It is his grace. It is his glory. It is his grandeur that has been on display since the opening verses of chapter 1. In fact, that's where we find the answer to our question, which is, who is it that came? From the very opening words of this glorious book, Paul has been explosive in his praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins to just cascade truths over the top of us again and again and again. He says that all of the blessings that come to us come to us because of our union to Jesus Christ, who is the very Son of God himself. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son to earth to redeem us from our sins. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is the miracle of the Incarnation. This is such a stunning truth if you think about it. Even the biblical authors writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit really had a difficult time coming to grips with this. They just reveled in it. Peter, Peter called the timing of the coming of the Lord Jesus things into which angels longed to look. The writer of Hebrews trying, trying to put the incarnation, that is the coming of Jesus to earth, into perspective, said long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, and in, for the sake of clarity, we are still living in those last days. In these last days, God himself has spoken to us through his Son. The author of Hebrews adds what, if you think about it, is probably the most common sense application imaginable. He says, essentially, therefore, since God has spoken to us through his Son, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. And that's the right response if you have any sense at all of who Jesus actually is and the grace that the Father has shown us by sending Jesus to us. So let's do that this morning. Whether you're wondering if there really is anything to be joyful about in your life at this time of the year. Whether you may be, in fact, doubting God's love for you because of how difficult things have been, or whether you, during this Christmas season, are just ready for your joy to get to that next level, let us pay closer attention to what God has spoken to us through his glorious Son. Now, what makes Jesus' message different, not in content, but in kind, from every other preacher, is that the message Jesus is proclaiming centrally focuses on himself. All other preachers testify to the truth when they point to Jesus. Jesus testifies by telling the truth about himself. 
as Sinclair Ferguson says, he not only practices what he preaches, he is what he preaches. But it's not just Christian preachers who preach messages purporting to be truthful to you. The culture is preaching at you constantly. The culture is telling you through your phone or TV or in the movies or wherever you are, this is what you should think. This is how you should live. This is what you should do. This is what is true. Except the culture is doing it with no authority whatsoever. But Jesus, when he came to earth, was the only preacher who could speak with such inherent authority that he could say, look, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And when people heard him speak like this, they said, no one has ever spoken to us with this kind of authority. He spoke with such power and with such conviction that the chief priests and the Pharisees, once when they were irritated with Jesus, sent the temple guards to arrest him. But the soldiers, when they came back, did not have Jesus with them. And the chief priests and the Pharisees say, what are you doing? Why didn't you arrest Jesus? And then in one of the funnier lines in the entire New Testament, they say, no one ever spoke like this man. They couldn't dare to arrest him. His proclamation of truth was so clear and so powerful, they dared to even touch him. It is one thing to speak about who Jesus is and what he has done, which is a glorious privilege. But Jesus and Jesus alone could preach these words. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the door for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one else can preach with the same authority as Jesus about the good news, and certainly no one better dare to proclaim themselves as the good news other than Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul says he did here in Ephesians 2. So this Christmas, let's be freshly amazed at the reality of who Jesus is and the simple fact that he came from heaven to earth and he preached. In other words, he revealed the truth to us. So then, what is the essence of the message that Jesus proclaimed. In the context of Ephesians, Paul is basically saying Jesus is preaching his own person and work. Paul tells us that Jesus himself is our peace. Verse 
14 of chapter 2. That is, that is who Jesus is. Paul tells us that Jesus broke down the wall of hostility, separating Jews from Gentiles in his flesh on the cross, thereby making one new people out of two and establishing peace with himself at the center. That is what Jesus did. So there is his person and there is his work. And his message is peace. Now the irony is that this is the most divisive message that has ever come to earth. The culture may preach any number of things to you, but what the culture will not preach to you is the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to God. But Jesus wasn't ashamed to say that. In fact, he implored people to believe it. This is exactly the purpose for which Jesus was sent. This is exactly the reason Jesus was sent to earth as a baby that first Christmas morning. This is exactly what God said he would do through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus ever walked on the earth or before a rather unusual star marked the place where a very unique baby lie in a manger. The prophet said, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6. Now, as we're thinking about this idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Think about how central it is to the message of Ephesians. Back in chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10, Paul told us that the Father's purpose, which he set forth in Christ, was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the plan is not just to make one united, peace-filled people out of two, But the plan is also to eradicate the division between heaven and earth itself. And all of this happens centered around one individual, Jesus, who is our peace. The titles ascribed to Jesus in Isaiah 9-6 represent both who he is and what he was coming to do. Jesus came and preached peace. Peace found only in him and peace made possible only by him. The message of peace on earth and goodwill toward men is good news for all people everywhere. For verse 17 says that Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Now, in the original context, we know at this point that he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, right? But another way we might say that is that this is a message of peace, both for very religious people who thought they were right with God because they fit into their own kind of special category, and the message was for those who were utterly godless, 
that is the Gentiles, that is everybody else, that is my Gentile brothers and sisters, that is us. But the good news of the glory of this message, the message that Jesus came and preached, is that no matter who you are, and no matter what you have done, you fall somewhere on the continuum of near or far from God. Which means this message of good news is specifically for you. Jesus came and preached the good news of the gospel so that you would be saved. By extension, this very morning, as a messenger of reconciliation and as a fellow recipient of the good news that sinners can be made right with God, I too proclaim to you that though your sins may be as scarlet, yet through the blood of Jesus, you can be white as snow. As Mr. Spurgeon once said, there may be some sins of which a man cannot speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. The blood of Jesus speaks. We might say the blood of Jesus preaches. A better word than the blood of Abel. And the message the blood of Jesus preaches is peace. Peace with God is available to you. To every person who would call out on the name of Jesus to be saved. Jesus in his flesh on the cross killed the hostility that existed between us and God, thereby making peace and thereby making it possible for us to love one another like he loved us. The blood of Jesus preaches peace to all people of every tongue and tribe and nation. No matter what you have done, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash away your sins. So why don't you celebrate this Christmas by receiving Jesus Christ as God's gift to you for the salvation of your soul. That provides the potential for greater joy this year. Now, the miracle of Ephesians 2, that is, the miracle that brings joy to the world, is that it proclaims, that is, Ephesians 2 proclaims the Christmas message of Luke chapter 2. Now, in Ephesians 2, we learn that Jesus himself is our peace and that through his death on the cross, he brought peace to the world no matter who we are. In Luke 2, when the glory of the Lord 
pierced the veil between heaven and earth. And the glory of God shone round about the shepherds. The angel announced, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. That sounds very much like Ephesians 2 to me. And when the sky suddenly ripped open and a heavenly host of angels began singing, began singing from the, from the depth of their being, they praised God with this declaration. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace to men. That sounds very, very much like Ephesians 2 to me. The message of peace with God is a message of unspeakable joy. Unspeakable joy to the world because through Jesus, we now have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 18. This is the message that we love. This is the message that brings peace. This is the message that the world hates. There is only one way to God. Through Jesus Christ. Christ and him alone. The miracle of the gospel is that when we come into union with Jesus, we have peace with God. That is, we are fully welcomed into the exceedingly joyful relationship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit share. It's not as if peace means Jesus just says, sign here, and we won't shoot at each other. You are welcomed into the most loving most peace-filled, most joyful relationship imaginable. It is this relationship that sits at the center of all reality. At the center of all reality is pure joy. And through our union with Christ, we are invited in. Now this idea is not, not just a sidebar footnote in the preaching of Jesus. It is perhaps, arguably, the central message that he wants us to understand. Some of the most precious words to me in all of the scriptures are offered by Jesus in the Gospel of John in chapters kind of 14, 15, and 16. What makes these words so precious to me, what makes these words so powerful to me, is that when Jesus says them, he knows he's about to be arrested. He knows within hours he's going to be executed. So once Judas leaves the upper room, Jesus has a precious, just a precious few moments left with his beloved followers, his true disciples. What would you say to your loved ones if you only had a few hours to live? Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus reminds them of the Father's love in, in chapter 14. And he promises to send the Holy Spirit to help them. And they, 
basically get up and leave the upper room and they begin walking towards Gethsemane where Jesus will be arrested. But Jesus continues to talk with them. They must have kind of passed through a vineyard on the way to Gethsemane or there was one right there in the garden. Because apparently Jesus saw grapes growing on a vine and he used that as a teaching illustration. But again, think about what we're talking about. If you were hours from your death and you had those that you loved more than anyone else in the world around you and you could just go for one more walk, what would you share with them? What would you want them to know? Jesus presents himself as the vine and his followers as the branches. In other words, stay in your union with me. He again talks to them about the love of the Father and abiding in that love. And he says, the reason I'm telling you this is so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. He again exhorts them to love one another and again promises to send them the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16, yet again, Jesus reminds them that the Holy Spirit will lead them. He says, you need to know this because things are going to be really hard. Because I'm about to go to my Father. But as hard as it is, this should cause you to rejoice. He says, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He says, when you see me again, no one will be able to take your joy from you. He encourages them to ask the Father anything in his name so that their joy will be full. And he reminds them one final time of the Father's love. And then he declares, no matter how bad it is, remember this, I have overcome the world. What strikes me about that is that that's not just very Ephesians 2-like. That's very Ephesians 2, 17 and 18-like. That's just double-clicking on what Paul says here and saying this is what it looked like lived out in person. The themes are exactly the same. So the final takeaways for Jesus... What did he want them to know? The final takeaways are the Father loves you. Keep in close union with me by loving each other and obeying the Father. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit will help you. I'm leaving my peace with you. And this peace, no matter how hard it gets, will fuel your joy. A joy that cannot be taken from you and a joy that will last forever. Jesus came and preached a message of joy for all people. Peace with God is now available in him and through the Spirit. That is, you can know the love of the Father. It's a unique experience to be on this side of preaching. The reason is because I can see your faces. 
And some of you look like granite. Maybe because you're in a really hard place. Some of you look slightly skeptical. And some of you look just sad. And I know why. Because joy is elusive. This world is hard. It's exhausting. And we're constantly being bombarded by a barrage of things that try to separate us from Jesus. And it wears you out. But what Jesus is saying here is, there will be a day when joy is no longer fleeting. I think there will be a day when we will be in the presence of God and we will be shocked by how joyful he is. (laughs) I always thought of you as so serious. There's so many bad things happening. I know. I think we'll be overwhelmed, shocked, surprised at how joyful he is. And then secondly, I think we're going to be shocked by how joyful we are in his presence. We're going to say, I don't know why I can't stop crying. I can't stop laughing. I've never felt like this. It's because you haven't. You don't know what it's like to feel joy without fear. You don't know what it's like to feel joy without insecurity. You don't know what it's like to feel joy without wondering how long is this going to last? Will it ever come back? There will be a day when I think we will barely be able to talk without laughing or crying. Where our conversations seem more like singing than talking. And that will be because we are in the presence of the most joyful being in the universe. The good news is we're already united to that being through Christ. But on that day, what we will realize is our joy is fully complete. And our joy will last forever. So until that day comes, may the good news of great joy that is for all people bring us peace in this world and during this Christmas season and in the days to come. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you so much and with all the difficult things that this world presents, it's, it's easy for us to, to wonder if peace and soul-satisfying joy really is at the center of the message that you preached to us. So thank you for this reminder from your word that that is in fact true.
And so would you now cause us to respond in whatever way you desire as led by your spirit. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for the joyfully good news that we have in Jesus, who himself is our peace and our joy. Lead us now in his name we ask. Amen.